The scripture reading this afternoon is from Romans 13. It can be found on page 10 of your bulletin and is projected above. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Annalisa. Okay. Hey, y'all. It's a privilege to bring the word this afternoon. My name is Andy, and I'm the associate pastor here. Um, all right. Kids, a couple of things for you to be listening out for. The first one is uh, Searchlight. Second one, we'll have a couple of short lessons about the Ten Commandments. And then the third one is Self Talk. So, Searchlight. Ten Commandments, and self-talk. Uh, grown-ups, uh, if you need some direction as to where we're going, uh, we'll look at the mindset of love, the motive for love, and the method of love. Mindset, motive, and method, okay? Uh, just a quick introduction into Romans. We, we've been looking at Romans 12, so far 12 and 13. We'll do the rest of the book, 12 through 16, uh, the rest of the fall before Advent. Um, but there's a lot that happens in Romans 1 through 11. Um, let me give you a couple of summary statements just to help you uh, put things on the right shelf, okay? Romans 1 through 11 tell us God's saving work for us in Christ. And Romans 12 through 16 tell us about God's saving work in us as he transforms us now to do his will. Okay, so 1 through 11 is God's work for us. What has he done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that purchases our redemption? And then 12 through 16 gives us this saving work in us. How are we to live as a, as a result of what Christ has done for us, right, that we hear about in 1 through 11? Uh, put it another way. Romans 1 through 11 displays the love of God for us through the work of Christ. 12 through 16 displays the effect of that love in us as we love others. We've been talking uh, this semester so far and will throughout the rest of the year about what it looks like to embody the gospel in our, life, in our lives together as a church community into our communities, into our neighborhoods, into our new neighborhood uh, in the near south side, into Fort Worth and around the world. And so uh, what, what's happening in this passage 
this is really the, uh, the summary statement of the last two chapters in Romans. Romans 14 and 15 particularly are going to get into sort of um, specific like situational ethics. How are Christians supposed to live in certain ways? Romans 12 and 13 have given us a little bit of a different picture. You can think about it this way. Um, It is as if Paul has given us this grand, masterful outline of all that Jesus has done for us. And then he starts in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, with this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so in those two verses, Paul takes this searchlight, right, this huge spotlight, and he shines it into the area of worship. And he says, this is what the Christian's relationship to worship should be. Not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of his mind uh, in worship, offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Verses three through eight in chapter 12 talk about our relationship to ourself, uh, the gifts that we have, and the gifts that we bring into our church community. Uh, 9 through 16 talks about um, our our life together. What does it look like? What are the marks of a Christian uh, to live with hospitality and showing honor to one another, not being slothful in zeal? So we get these different lights kind of shown in these areas of worship into our own lives, into the lives of our relationships to one another, and even to our enemies. The end of chapter 12 talks about our relationship to our enemies. How should we behave? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So we get this, these lights, this kind of searchlight, spotlight, into different areas of a Christian's life. And in the beginning of chapter 13, what Brian preached on last week, um, he got the trickier passage, uh, if I'm being honest. Uh, what does it look like to subject ourselves to the governing authorities? What is the Christian's relationship to government? And if you weren't here and didn't hear it, I commend uh, you can find last week's worship service on our YouTube uh, channel or whatever. And I would encourage you to listen to that. I think it's really helpful and gives a great perspective on a Christian's relationship to uh, governing authorities. We're to submit ourselves to them. Um, We're to to pay our taxes. We're to do the things that um, we're supposed to do as Christians. And so now we get to our section, the end of 13, and it's as if that spotlight um, gets pulled all the way out to the maximum so that you get the broadest picture possible, not just into our worship or into a relationship with our enemies or the government, but all the way back. What is Paul's summary of what the Christian life is supposed to look like? And what he says is that our life is supposed to be characterized by love. That we're to love one another and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Sorry, hang on one second, my notes. Here we go. Um, We are to show to the world love. And he gives us a mindset that we're to share 
uh, as believers, a mindset that he is echoing over and over and over again. Verse Chapter 12, verse 9, let love be genuine. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The mindset of the Christian is to love. And he says it, he makes an argument. It may sound a little bit odd, but coming off of chapter 13, verse 7, where he says, pay to, what, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Paul then says, owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, there have been, there's been a lot of commentators, a lot of ink spilled on what that owe, owe no one anything means. And actually, uh, we could spend three sermons worth of time talking about whether it's okay to have a mortgage or to take out money for a a business loan or something like that. And actually that would completely miss the point of what's happening in this passage. Uh, Paul says in the previous verse, pay what you owe. When when you owe taxes, pay it. Uh, So it can't obviously mean, uh, you, you know, never owe anyone anything because we all have debts and obligations. What he's saying here is, Make good on those obligations. If you incur a debt, pay it. But there's one debt, he says, that's perpetual. There's one debt that could never fully be repaid, and it is the debt of love. And so our mindset is to love whenever possible, wherever possible. This is a perpetual debt of love that we're to pay. Think about... um, if you tried to convince your spouse that the debt of love you owe to her or him has been paid, right? I mean, it's absurd, right? Wife, I have loved you. I have loved you completely. I have fulfilled my debt of love to you. We're good. (laughs) Uh, It won't work in my house or yours, right? It is a debt that we always owe. There is never a point to where we would say we have loved enough. Now that doesn't mean that all of our actions are always going to look the same in every circumstance, that that the obligation, the method of loving is always going to be the same. We'll talk about that later. But the obligation to love for the Christian is perpetual, we will never outgrow our need to love our neighbor. And that's actually fundamental to the nature of the gospel. Imagine if Jesus said to us, I've paid enough. My love for you, I've completed the debt of of love to you. I don't need to do that anymore. Of course not. He would never do that. It's out of his character. God loves us with a love that will not let us go and will never end. And he's demonstrated that in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we owe this debt of love. Secondly, this mindset shows us that one who loves, one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Then he goes on in verses 9 and 10. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, 
you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now what's happening here? Paul is talking about the relationship of love to the law. And what he says by using these commandments, these are four of the ten commandments. They're actually just a sampling of the second table of the ten commandments. So there were two tables of the ten commandments. The first table uh, deals with our love for God. And the second half, the back half of the ten commandments deal with our love for our neighbor. So he takes several uh, commandments out of the second table, the back half, about our love for our neighbor. And he gives them in just an order. Um, It feels a little bit like Paul to take them out of order, right? Seventh, then sixth, then eighth, then tenth, right? Seven, six, eight, ten. He takes these commandments and he says... That if you do these commandments, if, if, you, if, you, if you take all of these commandments and you were to do them perfectly, you would display love completely to your neighbor. It is with the mindset of love that we, we do these commandments. Imagine the incompatibility of adultery and love or coveting and love. If you love someone you wouldn't steal from them, right? They're incompatible. The, the, the commandment, do not steal, is incompatible with the commandment to love. We wouldn't steal from someone that we loved. We also see here uh, that the commandments, they're given in a negative, but they're not just negative. Uh, in this sort of construct, Every commandment has a negative and a positive. So if you think about the commandment, it's not listed in here, but just take murder, for example, right? So the the commandment encompasses all the things you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to take life. You're not supposed to murder. But it also includes the positive, that we are as Christians, as followers of God, to be people who seek life wherever possible, to promote life wherever we can, to seek the good of those around us, right? Not to hate them in our hearts, but to love. We're to do the positive. We're not only to to not steal, we're actually to work for the welfare of those around us, those that we love. We're to seek their good, Right? We're, we're not to commit adultery, but we're to, to love our spouse, giving up ourselves for them. Right? We're to have this sacrificial love in, uh, in a commitment to one spouse. Love fulfills these commands. It is, uh, we're to do these things to fulfill the Ten Commandments with love. That can be challenging for us. Uh, our, our society uh, and even our own hearts often work against that impulse uh, that, that Paul is spelling out for us here. The temptation to love ourselves and to seek our own good often comes in conflict with our love for our neighbor. That's why we're told to love our neighbor as ourself. 
that we would seek for our neighbor the amount of good that we would seek for ourselves, right? That's the bar. The, the ways that I pursue my own um, uh, food needs, the way that I pursue my own comfort or shelter, the way that I pursue anything that would care for me, to the same degree I should care for and love my neighbor. Now, how is that even possible? I want you to put a pin in that question for a second. We're going to look at the motive that Paul gives us, and then we'll come back to that uh, in just a minute. So as we come to the motive, look at verses 11 and 12. Paul goes on to say, uh, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law, verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. And then it'll go on. We'll talk, to about, we'll talk about that section in just a second. What is this time that Paul is talking about here? It's the time of the return of the Lord. It is the day of the Lord when Jesus returns. That is the motivation for us. Jesus is coming back. So as his followers, we want to love as he has loved us. We want to love our neighbors because we know that the day is approaching. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Okay, This is not saying that we're like more saved now than we were when we trusted in Jesus. But it's saying that Jesus' return is one day closer than it was yesterday, right? And tomorrow is going to be one day closer than today. And so we should live in light of Jesus' return and love in a commensurate way. That we should be motivated to love because Jesus is coming. Paul goes on, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The day has come. It's no longer night. The time to sleep is over. Paul is going to say it's time to take off your PJs, to put on the clothes of righteousness that Jesus gives us, and to live as if the day is here. It's really interesting, um, Paul also writes about this in 1 Thessalonians. Um, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read a section of it, but um, it can be helpful maybe later for you to go look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, he's going to use a lot of the same language. Now, it doesn't mean, Paul, Paul's not necessarily saying that Jesus is coming back immediately, right? Although his, his, his language is pretty urgent, right? Um, and there was some thought, you know, we, didn't, we don't know when, when Jesus was coming back. Paul wouldn't have known that. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, we don't know the day or the hour that, that Jesus is going to come back like a thief in the night. Paul says, you are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. 
So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians, we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we know he's coming. Stay awake and sober. Be ready for his arrival. It could be today. And when he comes, we want to be found loving him and loving our neighbor as ourselves, not living as if it's darkness or that there's all of this time and we have this peace and security. We want to see that our conduct is lived in light of Jesus' return, that our motive for loving now is in part because it's a fulfilling of the law, but also because Jesus is coming. And we want to be witnesses to his light to the world, that through our love, people would also come to know and love Jesus for themselves. Paul goes on in our passage to talk about what it looks like for us to live in this, in this way of love. He gives us a couple of ideas of method. How are we to live? And we'll pull a few threads together as we look at this. Look at verses 13 and 14. And this may feel a little disjointed too. Um, it can sort of feel like we're called to love. Paul gets a little poetic thinking about the motive of the day of Jesus' return. Uh, it's not night anymore. It's daytime. Wake up. It's, it, it, we're, we need to live in this way. And then he it almost comes back, and it, if, if you read it, it, it can feel like he's sort of finger-wagging at you. Don't live this way. Don't do this anymore. It, it can feel incompatible with his message before, but I actually think it falls right in line with what he's saying. He says this, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In order for us to love our neighbor as ourselves, in order for us to have this mindset and to live it out, we need to put off and put on. Now, if you've been around the church at all, uh, this is pretty common Pauline language. He uses this put off and put on language a lot. Want to just emphasize a couple things here. There is a list of things that we're to put off. Don't do things that people who live in the darkness do, but live in the light with Jesus. The law will say don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't do these things. But we follow a person, not just the law. So we're putting away these deeds that are incompatible with a life of love. We're putting off um, sexual sins. We're putting off sins of addiction, things that we may be enslaved to, uh, idols. We're putting away these idols, this idol worship, 
We're putting away our quarreling and our jealousy. And we're putting on Jesus himself. Clothed in his righteousness. We are wear, as if we are wearing him. Uh, Paul uses this language, the armor of light, right? In 1 Thessalonians, he talks about putting on uh, the helmet, right? And putting on these other uh, pieces of armor. That, that as followers of Jesus, we need this protection and we need the assistance of Jesus himself to be able to live in this way. Put off these sins put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does he mean when he says to put on Christ? A couple of things here. It means, first, that we remember all that Jesus has done for us. We, we remember who we are in Christ, the indicative, and then we go live that out as fruit. We remember what Christ has made us to be, what he, the work that he's done inwardly in us, and then we live that out outwardly. I think as we, as we uh, try to figure out exactly what it means to put on the Lord Jesus, the most important thing that we can remember is that it's easy to forget. We can we can come to worship, we can hear of the gospel, we can hear of all that Jesus has done for us, we can hear the command to love, we can be fired up to go do that uh, in our neighborhood, we can get home Sunday night, we wake up Monday morning, and it's like Sunday never happened. We get caught up in um, going back to school after fall break. We get caught up in um, having to go back to work after the weekend. We get caught up in our identity being swirled in all of these different places, um, trying to figure out who we are on, in, in a social ladder or um, coming into midterms uh, soon if you're in college or trying to figure out um, what college you're going to go to next year if you're a senior. All of these things that are mostly good things We're almost slaves to the moment. Whatever's right in front of us is the thing that gets our attention. And what we've learned on Sunday, what we've heard, this reminder that we've gotten in the word, we tend to forget. And we'll make it through the week. Mostly good, some down, you know, it depends on how things are going. And we'll get to a spot, maybe you're like me in this, you get to a spot midweek and you're like, oh, wait, I know that I'm a child of God, that Jesus has accomplished all of these things for me, and I've been living as if it's not true. I know it's true in my head, but I haven't functionally lived that out. So putting on the Lord Jesus Christ first means that we remember it may mean that you post notes to yourself all over the place to remind yourself of, of the truth of the gospel. It may be that you use this self-talk. Kids, these are, these are the things that we say to ourselves, right? We used to have these mantras in our house when our kids were smaller. 
um, we would say things when things weren't going their way or we're disciplining them. You know, do we love you? Yes or no? Yes. Do we love you a lot or a little? We love you a lot. Do we want good things for you or bad things? Good things. <laughs> okay, so then let's take that. If you know that we love you and you know that we love you a lot and we know you know that we want good things for you, let's talk about what discipline looks like. Why you can't do that thing that you want to do so badly. We'd have this like self-talk trying to remind our children what was true and how they were to behave. We all need that. There are so many lessons that we hear, whether it's on social media or on the news or uh, wherever you get, where, what, whatever you listen to in the car, all of these things are sort of training us. And before we even know it, we, that's, that's, we've adopted that mindset. And so for you to have the self-talk that reminds you of all that Jesus has done for you, And then what you're called to do is so important. It's why I put that John Piper quote into the bulletin. Maybe you need to take a picture of that with your phone. And you need to pull it up every morning when you wake up. And that's the first thing that you read in the morning. Maybe it's something that you make as a background on your phone. Or that you are able to come back to regularly. To remind you that you are forgiven by faith alone. You have the imputed righteousness of Christ by faith alone. You have the Holy Spirit within you by faith alone. So now you will continue to make your focus Jesus Christ every day and look to him for everything my soul craves. We used to do this um, thing in RUF uh, when we talk a lot about um, sexual sin with a lot of our guys that a lot of times there was, um, you know, looking at pornography or whatever it might have been that, um, you, you know, you want to just stop it. So you want to stop doing the bad thing and start loving, right? Stop this, do that. But that what really what you took was actually going to a deeper level. And to recognize that sometimes your sexual sin is prompted by loneliness. Um, it's prompted by anger or frustration. And it may sort of leak out, you know, out, it may like come to the surface because of there's some lack um, if you're lonely, what you actually need is to be reminded that Jesus is your brother, that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you are never alone, that Christ has purchased you and you are a son of God. And as you remember that you are no longer alone and that Christ is meeting those needs for you, then it's easy to go and love. Does that make sense? Maybe it's quarreling or gossip. Maybe it makes you feel better for you to put someone else down with another friend of yours. And so what's happening there is not just that you're mean, right? That you want to put somebody else down, but you actually want to make yourself feel better because there's something inside of you uh, that you're lacking. Uh, You need to be reminded then that Christ is your righteousness, that you are loved perfectly, even in your sin and weakness. That you don't need to make someone else look worse to make you look better. That you are Christ's bride. And that because he died for you, you have everything that you need. And therefore, instead of making someone else look worse, you can actually 
sacrificially love them because you don't need to make yourself feel better by putting them down. Those are the things that we have to remember as we put on Christ. I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm loved, and because of that, I can then go, out of the fullness of that, I can then go and love. And as I love, I fulfill the law. The day is coming. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's not enough. We'll close with this. It's not enough to just not do the negative. Right? If you just give, uh, if, we, if we give ourselves just the don't do this and don't do that and don't do this, we'll never actually do it. What we really need is this beautiful vision of what it would look like for us to lose our life in love for our neighbor. This picture of what Christ has done for us and what it looks like as his church to walk together as his people, to go and love our neighbors, to love our communities with this self-sacrificial love of Jesus. It will take a positive vision, something like that, They'll actually motivate us to not make a provision for the flesh or gratify its desires. We need to focus on putting on Christ, that he is the one who has loved us and saved us, who's called us into this life of love. It's a beautiful vision of what he's called us to. And as we follow him, we will fulfill the law as we love our neighbor as ourselves. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord God, you are kind in all that you do. Lord, we're so quick to forget we're quick to dismiss what we know to be true of you for Lord, whether some sort of temporal pleasure or gratifying our flesh in some way, Lord, would you remind us of your goodness towards us in Christ? Would you meet us? Would you help us to fulfill the law as we love our neighbor as ourselves? Thank you for your great love for us. Help us to follow you, to put on Christ, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.